And now it's my privilege to uh, uh, invite uh, uh, long friends of and global partners of Brush Prairie Church. Uh, Scotty and Emily are with us again this morning, and 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 Scotty is going to share something of Paul's missionary heart, but it's something of their missionary heart as well, and it's 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 something for our hearts that whether it's there. And I, and I was thrilled, as you, as you all were sharing with the seniors ministry a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, I was thrilled. It felt like we were, we were um, hearing about stories right out of the book of Acts, that what God did then is what God has been doing today. And so what God would do there is what God will also do here. Amen. And to be reminded of this, in the day that some of you are now going to think about Connecting with somebody today, tomorrow, and saying, hey, our church is having this Christmas jazz. Would you join us? And would God give his blessing and the, and the push of his spirit into that invitation? Brother, thank you for sharing the word well, with you. us again today, and we are thrilled to have you with us. Amen. Well, we're happy to be here, and we're very thankful to be here during this Thanksgiving season. And uh, it's, it's, this is a great time of year, isn't it? Between it's, It starts off at Thanksgiving, and it just gets better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> All the way up to Christmas Day. And so we're very thankful to be here with you. I have my wife here, Emily, and two of our six children are here. The other four are, I don't know, all over the world, it seems, <laughs> most of the time. But um, we are just, as I think of Brush Prairie Baptist Church, I... I, I I am, I am filled with great thankfulness. It's like the Lord brought you very much into our lives at a very crucial time, very difficult time. I mean, this church really kind of came right behind us at the death of my wife, Beverly, my first wife, nine years ago. You really just came like a few other churches and just really, uh, you weren't even actually officially one of our supporting churches at that time, but you cared for us and you helped provide a refrigerator and a washer and a dryer and a stove for our house and and many, many other things, and I just, well, many, many other things, actually too much to, to name, and I will never forget that. And not only that, but you're one of the churches that helped us through that time, but you're also one of the great church, one of the big churches that really supported my marriage, my second marriage to Emily, and you, you were champions of our, mar- of our new marriage, and, and you stood behind us with that, too. Again, that was just as important, too. And so I thank you, Brush Prairie, and also for standing with us these last many years as we've been in Tyre, South Lebanon. And um, we're just going to share a bit of a report and share some of Paul's missionary heart and my missionary heart, and hopefully it'll work out to your missionary heart, and God will accomplish his kingdom purposes through this word in the book of Acts, chapter 20, which is where I want to be tonight. Or t- not tonight, this morning. <laughs> so. I got the water here. I'll be drinking a lot because I burnt my mouth on some really nice Thanksgiving coffee or tea. I'm not sure which one. And um, Carlin get me a, got me a whole bunch of water, and so he said if I overdrink, he could fill in for a minute, which might happen. And Carlin could fill in because he did come to visit us in Tyre, so he actually knows some of the names. So Carlin, you're on standby. Probably about a minute and a half I would need, uh, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And I'll try and tell you in advance, Carlin, maybe what you should share, but, okay. if we need to do this. But the passage that the Lord has laid upon my heart as I've um, been praying and for sharing in some of our supporting churches, all of our supporting churches this last few, really, month and a couple months, is Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 24 primarily. Um, We're going to read that. Let me start actually in verse 16. 
of Acts chapter 20. And this is Paul at the end of his third missionary journey. This is the very end of all of his missionary journeys. He knows he's coming to an end. The Lord is going to make it very clear to him. And as far as he understands it, it's coming to an end, this type of work for him, these missionary journeys he's been involved in. And so he calls the Ephesian elders, and so this is Acts chapter 20, verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17. And now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that a imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And one last verse, 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And now, Father God, we thank you so much as we think of all of the things we're thankful for. Our hearts are filled with joy. Firstly and foremostly for this gospel, that our sins can be forgiven and that we, sinful mankind, can know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so, Lord, and based upon your promises to us in your word, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst, we would ask that, Lord Jesus, you would bless this time, bless this reading of your word into all of the hearts of each saint in this room and accomplish all of your kingdom purposes in peoples and in lives and circumstances that we can't even comprehend. But, Lord, we thank you that your word will never return void without accomplishing its purposes. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, the events of this This is not the whole discussion. It continues on to the very end of chapter 20, but this is Paul meeting with the Ephesian elders, and he's sharing some very important things with them, right? He knows he's done. In fact, he actually alludes to the fact that he will will, will never see these people again. He will never see them again. And we know, do you not know, when you're saying goodbye, that it's hard to say goodbye. Goodbyes are hard, right? We all agree goodbyes are very hard. Goodbyes are especially hard when you know you will not see this person ever again. When you do that, when you're in those situations, and I don't know if you've been there, I've been in those situations. We've, my, my, my wife Emily and I have been in situations where we've said goodbye to people that we know we will never see again this side of eternity. And you say important things. You say things that really matter. You say the heavy things, the things that you're very concerned about. And the Apostle Paul has this, is this he's called these elders, and he, he wants to share with them these very heavy concerns to pass off the baton, so to speak, to these dear ones who he spent three years living amongst, ministering with. 
And we know that this date of this meeting is approximately April 29th to May 2nd of AD 57. Interesting. (laughs) How can we know that? We know that this was the year of 57. We know that the Apostle Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. We know Pentecost was May 27th, AD 57 that year. Takes about three weeks to get from Miletus to Jerusalem. And there's a couple more dates there mentioned and a couple more times where he spent about seven days, I think, in it's either Tyre or Caesarea in Acts chapter 21. So we have this time period there. It's been about a year and a half since he's last seen these Ephesian elders. And he's going to say goodbye to them. And in the saying goodbye, he reveals really important things in his heart. So I have the outline here. It was actually the mission of a missionary, the the manner of a missionary, the message of a missionary, verse um, uh, 17, I believe it is, and then then finally the motivation of a missionary. I think in the the bulletin it's worded slightly different, but I think you get the picture uh, of where we're going. And um, he's going to share these these concerns with these dear people and actually, myself as a missionary, I've read, I've been drawn many times to this passage. Many times. I see a lot of principles there. I actually believe the book of Acts is a great manual for how to do missions. I believe the New Testament gives the Christian missionary a lot of tools and truths and objectives and, and patterns and principles about how to do missions and why to do missions and how it should look like and what our objectives are. And so you see some of these things come out here in this text. So we're going to begin right off the bat in verse 17 with the phrase that says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And stop right there. This isn't so much a teaching of the Apostle Paul as it is Luke, the author, putting this narrative down for us. But put yourself in missionary shoes. Put yourself in pioneer missionary shoes. Five and a half years ago, there were no elders. (laughs) There were no believers. There was no church at Ephesus. Nothing. It was a lost pagan city. All they had was that great phenomenal temple of Artemis, the single largest building in the ancient world, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And all of the abominations that went with that, all of the cult prostitutes that went with that, and all of the witchcraft and all of the demonic activity of that city, there was no believers, no church of Jesus Christ, no elders. And now, Paul can call elders of the Ephesian church to come meet him in Miletus, about 60 miles south of Ephesus, Because there's a church to be dealt with. There's believers. There's a little flock he refers to later on in this this, uh, chapter. That's an amazing thing. From zero believers to a body of Christ in a city that was pagan, wicked, and immoral. And that's been one of the great privileges that we've been able to see ourselves over many years of ministry in the Middle East. I went to Syria initially 12 years ago. I went to Syria to share the gospel with Syrians. My desire was to see the church of Jesus Christ planted amongst the Syrian community in Syria. Got about a year and a half, two years approximately, I can't remember, you know, something like that, before I was kicked out very clearly for sharing the gospel. I was tracked for a number of days, and then I was eventually kicked out and expelled from Syria. But the Lord brought us, through his sovereign purposes and ways and means, into Lebanon, and then through, and then that time in Lebanon to to down to the south part of Lebanon, ultimately the city of Tyre, which is about 18 miles north of Israel. And there we were able to get involved in the the same Syrian community that I had a heart for way back when. And how exciting it has been to see 
over the last seven or so years with Emily and myself there, Syrians come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, come together and unite themselves, begin to share and open their hearts one with another. No simple thing in the Islamic Middle East for Muslims who come to Christ to then announce their, their, their faith to publicly be baptized in front of other believers who are announcing their faith. This is no little thing in the Islamic Middle East. Our city was 99.99% Islamic. And what we saw was the Spirit of God begin to move amongst these people. And this guy came, and then eventually his wife. And that guy came, and eventually his wife. And that woman came, and we just heard a few days ago that the last of the core believers the core group of believers, the last unsaved spouse made a profession of faith just a few days ago. The Lord is bringing these people together. It's been so exciting to see this. What a privilege, what a wonderful thing it is. And this is what the Apostle Paul, I know, is reveling in. There's sadness as he's saying goodbye to them, but he's also very excited that there is this church. My friends, schools and orphanages and hospitals and ESL programs are all wonderful things that we should use for the to, to come alongside our proclamation of the gospel and missions. But the focus must always be the planting of the church of Jesus Christ in an unreached community. That's the goal of missions. It's not even seeing one or two believers and disciples being made, right? Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. <laughs> How do you do that in just two or three weeks in Thessalonica? You need the church of Jesus Christ to be established for that continuation of the elders and the teachers teaching the saints how to follow and obey all the things, all the things that Christ has commanded us. And that's to a degree what you're doing right here in Brush Prairie. You're doing that. That's being done. You're continuing on 2,000 years later with that ecclesia, that church, being involved in your lives, not only making disciples around, but also encouraging you and exhorting you all to obey all the things that Christ has commanded you. And so that's the focus here. It's the church, that Jesus Christ, it's the church of Jesus Christ that these shepherds and elders are to oversee and care for. It's the church of Jesus Christ, that Paul will say in a few more verses, in verse 28, that Jesus came to shed his blood for. It's the church of Jesus Christ that is the body of Christ on this earth. It's the church of Jesus Christ that is the bride of Christ. It's the church of Christ for which Jesus is coming again to take, to be with him forever. It's the church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the church of Jesus Christ that Paul will tell to Timothy in um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The church is the pillar and buttress of truth. The pillar and buttress of truth. And a world, in a world filled with lies, how we need the truth of Almighty God in our lives. Do we not need it? We need the truth. The truth is not with our governmental systems, by the way. They don't have the truth. If you look in the public school system today, you probably will not find much truth. You hear a lot of lies. Even our medical establishments today can be places of lying. There's a lot of lies all around us. I would do that there. I did a quick little calculation. Guess how many times I heard the Islamic call to prayer, approximately, in Arabic? There is no God but God. La ilaha illallah. Wa Muhammadan Rasulallah. I heard that, I guess, estimate conservatively over 50,000 times. I've had that blasted into my 
ears, in my living room, in my bedroom, waking me up at 4.30 in the morning. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Lies. Lies. This world is full of lies. But the church is not like that. <laughs> the church is the place where we bring the word of God, the truth of God, the truth of the gospel of God, the eternal truth, Jesus Christ himself, who is the truth, and we proclaim that, we live in that, we revel in that, we relish in that. Paul would tell this Ephesian church in Ephesus chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. The church brings glory to God in a way that is very special and very unique. But sadly, today in missions, there are many other things that can distract us from missions, from that main objective of seeing the church of Jesus Christ established in that people group or this tribe or that nation. It always needs to be the main focus of what we're doing is to see everything I'm doing, everything I do, all my work, learning language, learning culture, living in this neighborhood, it all should go to the glory of God in the establishment of the ecclesia, the church in that community. Recently, I've been going through my prayer letters over the last 34 years as a missionary, thinking about what, what, what maybe if should I write a book or try, write, compile some of these stories together of how God has led. But I, one of the things I see from the very beginning, my very first days when I went to Egypt, was I want to see the church of Jesus Christ established in this community amongst the Muslims, amongst the Islamic world. And that has been one of the very exciting things to see. In one sense... That is the great need. We don't need a lot of short-term missions right now, really. There's still a great need for long-term real missions. We need to have that long-term focus, that long-term mentality that learns the language, that learns the culture, that gets into the community by the grace of God and learns to eat their foods and live houses in the same way that they live their houses in, to incarnate our gospel, so to speak, like the Lord Jesus did when the eternal word of God became a man and dwelt among us. That's what we need to do in missions. And it's been such a privilege to see, after all these years, to be able to leave. When we left in June, after having laid our hands upon a couple of men, one as an elder and one as a deacon, after we saw that they were teaching the word of God themselves, after we saw that they were taking leadership in calling the church together to, to do the ordinances, to partake of the Lord's Supper, Muslims, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to determine amongst themselves who should be baptized and who should not be baptized, whose profession of faith makes sense with their lifestyle, and then them making the choices. This has been such a wonderful thing for us. But like all good missionaries, in one sense, missionaries, every good missionary, is ultimately seeking to work himself out of a job. You're seeking to work yourself out of a job. And that's not an easy thing. It's a very painful thing. You see that here in the, in the Apostle Paul's situation. He loves these people. They love him. They've lived together day and night for three years in Ephesus. If you look at the very end of that chapter there, it says, after he said all these things in verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. That is, these Ephesian elders. And there was much weeping on the part of all. The NSB says they were weeping aloud. They were weeping aloud. These guys loved each other. There was great love between them. So they were weeping aloud, and they began to embrace Paul, and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he spoke. 
had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So there's that pain there, the apostle, that's very evident in this text as they're saying goodbye. There's this pain there. But in one sense, it is mission complete. And I know, and it's not that it's, all, it's not all done. The church of Ephesus is still going to go through some hard things. There's still going to be letters written to it and corrections made. But in one sense, the Apostle Paul had accomplished a, a mission, so to speak, there. The church of Jesus Christ was established in the city of Ephesus. He's called these elders together, and now he's going to share with them these key things. That brings us to the second point in verse 18. The second point, which is the manner of a missionary. Paul's manner. Three times in this, in, in this discourse, the Apostle Paul will allude to the fact that they know how he lived amongst them. That's the first thing he says right there. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house. You yourselves know this. Also in 35 and in verse 36, he'll, he'll allude to the same thing. I lived amongst you guys. I ate your foods. I was with you in your houses. Missionaries are called to go to a people group and to love them. And they're not always easy to love, by the way. <laughs> they're not always easy to love. But that's why we need the grace of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, to give us, even if we're lacking, a love for this people. Even maybe a love for their foods that you may think stink or don't taste so good. Or maybe even a love for their housing situation. You'd prefer what you had back in the States, but you don't have that there. But to get into their lives, Paul's saying, I was with you guys. You've seen my life. Firstly, firstly, the very first thing I want you guys to know is I was always serving the Lord Jesus Christ in humility. That's the first point. I served the Lord in humility. Um, uh, yeah, uh, there's a couple of things I want to point out here, but he, he, he points out that he was primarily the doulos slave of Jesus. The foundation of all my service, the foundation of all the way that I lived my life in your presence was I viewed myself primarily as a doulos slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was doing it all for his glory. Not even really for you Ephesians. Not even really for you Muslims. Not even really for you Clark Countyites or Battle Girl or whatever, whatever we call ourselves here. I don't know. <laughs> But it's all for the glory of God. You can't truly serve other people spiritually until you firstly see all of your service as primarily unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Every other way, you're trying to get attention, maybe get brownie points. Hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing here. No, 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 no. You'll have your reward in fool. But the Christian minister is primarily a servant slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to mention his tears and his trials and his teaching and even his teens. Notice that he says in verse um, 18, or excuse me, 19, I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Serving the Lord with tears. He will later on in verse, uh, in this discourse in verse 31, will he will tell these Ephesian elders, he will say, therefore be alert Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And of course, we see the tears as they say goodbye to each other. Paul was admonishing these saints for three years with his whole heart and soul. He put everything into the ministry, laid it on the line, left it on the field. He was a man 
who was concerned for his people to such a degree that he would pray for them. He would pray for the Corinthians when they were weak. I mean, not pray. He would cry, pray and cry. He would cry and weep for the Corinthians in their weakness. He would weep for his own countrymen in Romans chapter 9, we know. He would be in great anguish of spirit. And he would even say, I would so desire that my own countrymen, the Jews, would be saved even to the point if I had to lose my salvation, which could not happen, of course. But his point is he was very much in anguish and concern that his own people would be saved. We know that, that Paul would, would say he would even weep tears for the enemies of the cross of Christ in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. It is said of George Whitfield, who was probably the single historians very much would probably agree with this, as I understand it, probably used more than any other man to see more souls converted to the Lord Jesus Christ would be George Whitfield, the great evangelist. And it's said of him that he rarely ever, ever preached a sermon without tears streaming down his face. How are you doing with your tears for the lost around you? How are we doing in our concern for the glory of God in this world around us? For our lack of impact upon a society that's going to hell in a handbasket. For the disgraceful things that are happening in some profession evangelical churches that bring shame and dishonor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who leave the faith, even apostatize, big names, big names this last year, leaving the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this do to our gospel witness, to the gospel message? How are our tears? I believe the American church and America needs revival. I believe we need revival. I believe we need to see a new Holy Spirit anointing on the church of Jesus Christ that empowers us as his followers to go out into the world, as your benediction often teaches you, Pastor Bob, sharing the gospel and bringing them into the family of God. Bringing them into the family of God. The church in America is definitely in need of that. The Apostle Paul made it very clear <clears throat> excuse me, that he was a man of tears for the, for the growth of his people, for the care of the church warnings for the church. Then he also says, thirdly, of his trials. He says, you've seen, you've seen the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You saw the difficult things, right? We all know, you read the book of Acts, you can see the things that happened to Paul. It was interesting, like in Lystra, where he was, he was stoned in Lystra and taken out for dead, right? And then he comes back a few days later, he says, uh, by the way, people of Lystra, through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's like, there's, a, there's an example, living example right there of the difficulty of following Christ in a pagan world. You may be stoned. But the Apostle Paul gives himself as an example. You guys have seen how I lived amongst you. You've seen my tears. You've seen my servanthood. You've even seen the plots of the Jews against me. You know how in Corinthians, there's those false apostles there, the super apostles. They're lying about me. They're slandering me. And you know how some of the Jews ran me out of cities. And I was beat. You even saw how I was in prison at times. You guys have seen that. You just saw, you Ephesian elders, a few, a few years ago, a few months ago, how I was going to go into the theater in Ephesus and rescue a couple of the believers, and you, church, you held me back because you know if I went into the theater, they'd probably throw me to the lions. 
Our lives are to be open books. And one of the ways that peoples, peoples throughout the world, peoples even here, come to see the value and the beauty of the gospel is in part by the cost that missionaries are sometimes called upon to actually just even bring it to them. To even bring the gospel to them can be costly. And that's one of the ways that causes people to say, hmm, maybe I better pay attention and listen to this. For this guy has come all the way over here. When you go to learn Arabic, like some people in this body are doing, <laughs> Josh and Danielle, seeking to learn a different language, right there, I don't, know if, I don't know how much they even know this at this point, but to learn the Arabic language is such a blessing to the Arabs themselves. They love their language, right? It's the language of God. God speaks Arabic. They didn't know that? God speaks Arabic. And so when you, as an infidel American, <laughs> come over and you take the time to learn their language and learn their culture and learn their ways, often surprising, the Arabs are very gracious in that way. They are very gracious. They're not gracious in every way, but in this area, they're very gracious. If you can learn their language, you're basically saying, I love you guys. And I'm going to put myself through this hard thing. The Arabs have all kinds of proverbs about how hard their language is. The Arabic language is a sea. And I added to the end of that, to all of them, they always quote that when I say I'm learning. It's a sea that, you know, it's a sea that one will drown in when he begins to learn to go to that sea. But in the things that we suffer, in the things that we go through, they present examples and they show our manner of life, our care for these people. I have never once enjoyed the death threats that I received in the Middle East, and I've received a number of them. I never once enjoyed the times in prison that I spent in the Middle East in different situations. I have. But at the very least, one of the things that has allowed me to do is to speak to the believers like the men we just left behind in the city of Tyre, who they themselves get death threats one of the dear men, the elder in our church, gets consistent phone messages, SMS messages, saying, we know where you live, we know what your wife's doing, and by the great God, Allah, it may be possible that your daughter doesn't make it home tomorrow. Hits those threats consistently. At the very least, I can go to him and say, Brother Yasser, I, I feel with you. I know what it's like, and I'm sorry you're going through this, but, but I can testify to one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger. He'll be a very present refuge for you in these situations. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we can take these things, the hard things that happen to us, the difficult things as well. Paul would say, you guys have seen this. I've lived my life out in your presence, and you've seen it. You've seen my trials. You've seen my tears. You've even seen my teaching. I did not shrink from declaring anything to you guys in Ephesus in that immoral city with all the witchcraft and demonic activity. I publicly declared on the streets and in your homes the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. I did that for your sakes, but also becomes an example for you. Now you Ephesian elders, do likewise. Do likewise. You're going to have to do likewise. How exciting it's been. About four years ago in the city of Tyre, I came across a very meek, mild man. Nice man. We love him. Lovely man. Lovely man. He became one of my best friends there. But he's a very meek, very mild guy. Over a solid year of doing Bible studies with this guy from creation to Christ, numerous times a week at times, he made a profession of faith and was baptized. And one of the things he will say now 
is that he kind of learned a lot. And I took him, after his baptism, I took him with other. I took him with me. <laughs> took him with me all the other houses to do more Bible studies. And now this man is the, de- the deacon we left behind. He's, he's a, he's a Philip-style deacon. He's a deacon who, who's an evangelist deacon. He's the main guy in charge of all of our Bible studies right now. About seven or so Bible studies, all with Muslims who are seeking to understand who Jesus is. And he's the main guy doing it. Again, the importance of the example. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I did this, you guys. I gave you an example. Please follow my example. And again, this is the high calling. This is the difficult calling of missions. This is the real calling of missions, though. This is what is needed for the unreached yet to this day. And then, it's not actually directly in the text, but if you read between the, the sentences in the first part of Acts chapter 20 and the end of in, in Acts 21 and 22, you can discern something unique going on here. That is, the Apostle Paul always, almost always, had a missionary team with him. He was always in team. Always. It was the church in Antioch that first sent out Paul and Barnabas, right? They prayed, sought the Lord, the Holy Spirit directed them. They sent out two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, and they were always together. Even coming here to Miletus, if you go back to the first part of Acts chapter 20, there was approximately on the ship to Miletus, there must have been Luke, Sopater, Timothy, Gaius of Derby, Aristarchus, Antichicus, and Trophimus, the two Asians, were probably with the Apostle Paul on this ship. And when he goes to Jerusalem, leaving Miletus, he's going to have at least Luke, Aristarchus, and at least Trophimus, if not Tychicus, will also be with him on the way to be the new missionary team going to Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus Christ sent out the disciples on a short-term missionary trip two by two. And that's a pattern. It's a very important thing for missionaries to go out, not as lone rangers, but as a team. You've got to be together as a team. You've got to be with your Barnabases and your Pauls and your Timothy, Timothys and your Tychicuses. <laughs> that's a fun name, Tychicus. <laughs> you have to be with those. So the Apostle Paul shares all these things. This is his manner. You Ephesian elders, this is how I lived amongst you. You've seen how I did work. Now go do likewise. Never underestimate the power of your own personal testimony and your life example to influence people towards a deeper obedience, faith, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is sharing here. And then thirdly, we come to his message in verse 21. The message of a missionary, which is really still our message. It's the only message we have. The message we have is simply the gospel. And in verse 21, we have a phenomenal synopsis getting right to the core of what the gospel is. Well, at least the call of the gospel. He says, I testify both to Jews and to Greeks. That means everybody. In the vernacular of his day, Jews and Greeks means the whole world. This gospel is for the whole world of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a phenomenal summary of the call of the gospel. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just simply confession of your sin, but a turning from. A turning from. You're walking this way, you admit it, you confess, you turn in repentance to the Lord God Almighty while you're putting your faith, everything, your trust in, your commitment to, and your dependence upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then later on in verse 24, he summarizes it. He says, I desire to, to finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here are these three little points. The repentance towards God, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel of the grace of God. The grace of God. 
It's a gospel you cannot get. You cannot earn by your works of righteousness. It's freely given. It's freely given by grace. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. Free. Free. During this Christmas season, you're going to be studying a lot of verses, I know, from this pulpit. They'll talk about the free gift of God, salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. I was doing this for three years amongst you guys. Three years. I was admonishing you. This repentance is not a one-time thing in the Christian life. It's a life of continual repentance. Our faith is not done back in 1973 when I believed in Jesus Christ that one night of that evangelistic crusade that one time. No, it's a life of continual faith. Paul will tell the Colossians, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk in him. And the Lord Jesus Christ said numerous times, whoever wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's all in the present continuous tense. The Christian life is a life called to a life of repentance, of denying self, picking up our cross, being the humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we say or do, and following him with a faith gaze that looks in faith continually as my only hope. Continually, a life of repentance and a life of faith. And that's what he's saying he's doing here. This is also a message to be taught. In verse 20, he says, I've taught you this. In verse, also in 20, he says, I've declared you this to you. In verse 21, I've testified this. In verse 25, I proclaim this. It's extremely important for the missionary to know we have a gospel message to teach and proclaim and declare and testify to. And it's extremely important that you know as well in your circumstances where you find yourself here in Brush Prairie, you also have that very same gospel called to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to teach, declare, and proclaim. There's a whole, there's a movement that concerns me a little bit in missions today. I've seen it happening and I've seen some of the destruction of it that puts a focus on the missionary actually not teaching, not preaching. It's not the missionary's job to teach or preach or proclaim. No, 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 no. It's only the missionary's job to facilitate. I have a problem with that. It's called the Bible. <laughs> it's called the book of Acts. It's called every example I see. We're called to, the, the, the philosophy behind that is that it's too hard for us. It's, you know, we don't, we're never going to be inside that culture. We're never going to be in that, we're never going to get that language. Well, that's because you don't take the time to learn the culture and learn the language. It takes a lot of time. It may take 30 years to get to that place and to learn that language and to get into those people and to develop the relationships and the trust. It may take 30 years, but so be it. The Lord will give you grace. The Lord will give you grace. That's the objective, and that's the goal. Teaching, preaching the gospel. Not other things. There's many other secondary things that come. No, 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 no. We need to keep it the focus of preaching, teaching the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Other things come in. We've had issues of psychology, overemphasis upon psychology. There's certainly a place for psychology, but not to replace the gospel. Never. We had one brother who came, and he was a very friendly guy, and he wanted to be involved in intense friendship evangelism. And don't get me wrong, we should do friendship evangelism. We, ha- we should be friendly. When you share the gospel, you should be friendly. I think I'm trying to be friendly. I try to be friendly when I share the gospel. But if you make that the main goal, you have problems. And this guy made an overemphasis on that. Where he just hung out in friendship. 
And so he would invite all these young Shiite, Shiite Muslim boys to his house and offer them vodka, vodka parties, because Jesus was a friend of sinners. So that's the, the deacon who made a reference to the thing what not to do. <laughs> ding, 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 that's the thing not to do. <laughs> that's one example of something you should not do. But you get the point. We have a gospel message to be taught, declared, testified to, and proclaimed. And then lastly, we come in verse 22 through 24, the motivations of a missionary. What compels, propels him, us, all of us along? And here I have two, a couple of things I want to mention, just two things particularly. Number one, the missionary <clears throat> is a spirit-led person, spirit-led, directed man by the Lord. And then secondly, a gospel-focused person, a gospel-focused. Um, it's a spirit-led man. You look in verse 22, he says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions, afflictions await me. This word he uses is a unique word. It's a word used of Peter when he was in jail in Acts chapter 12. Bound, between, bound with two, He was constrained and bound with two chains between two, two soldiers. Has no choice in the matter. Compelled, bound, an unction, a compulsion that leads him in this direction. The spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ does lead us. He leads. It was only seven years previous to this event that the Apostle Paul very much wanted to go to Ephesus for the first time. In the middle of the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul wants to go into Asia. But what happens? The spirit of Jesus forbids forbid him, forbade him, past tense, forbade him from going into Ephesus. It was not allowed. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow him to. And he wanted so badly to go. And now, on the third missionary journey, what happens? The Lord opens up a wide door. The Apostle Paul, after years of wanting to get in there, this unique door opens up, and the Apostle Paul goes to Ephesus, and it's ripe. Now is the time. Now is the season. There's so much of this is timing, right? The Lord leads in our lives, and so much of it is timing in his time. In his time. Not our time. In his time. The Lord opened up this door, and now, after three years there, the Lord is leading him out of Ephesus. Out of Ephesus. Denied to go in then led in, and now led out. And that's one of the things, as I think of how the Lord led over, over the last 34 years in the Islamic Middle East, that's one of the key things I see. The Lord leads me. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. Words with heavenly wisdom fraught. Wherever I be, wherever I go, still tis his hand that leadeth me. And that's one of the things you see time and time again, how the Lord leads his people along. And, of course, notice as well that the leading of the Spirit is not always easy, right? He knows he's being led by the Spirit of God into imprisonments and afflictions. That often is the case. Um, I knew when I first went to Syria, I actually prayed for about a year. I did not want to go to Syria because I knew that having been just arrested and kicked out of Jordan... <laughs> I did not want, and all the trauma that went with that, I did not want to go to Syria, which was a further police state than Jordan was. 
But the Lord kept me right here in Clark County for a while until I said, okay, Lord, I'll go to Syria. And as soon as I said that, I was on an airplane. We got to Damascus. We got about a year and a half before, again, we were kicked out of that country for sharing the gospel. But that's okay. In all of these things, the Lord accomplishes his purposes, right? I never forget, numerous times throughout my whole situation in the Middle East, I do have this sense of the compulsion of the Spirit to do things. The Lord leads us all in different unique ways. Always in accordance with his full counsel and the word of God. But I'll never forget, I was looking, as I was looking through my note, my past um, prayer letters last night, I came upon an event that was reminded of about 2002. When I woke up one morning with a real unusual sense, a very clear unusual sense that I needed to go downtown and meet somebody. That was it. That's all I knew. And this had never happened before, nor has it ever happened since like that. But it was just one of those unique things. And then the day began and errands took off and I had to do this and some project took me this way and before I knew it, it was nighttime. Ah, oh, the Lord laid something upon my heart. I better go downtown. So I went to the Roman amphitheater where I saw all these Iraqis gathering and I just said, well, I have one last errand to do. I'm going to ask somebody to help me find the shop to this last little errand that I had to do. I didn't know where it was so I just said, just go to somebody and say, please, could you help me where this certain shop is? And I met a guy named Yusuf. And that Yusuf, man, we got, he took me, he was so generous and so kind, and he took me to that shop, and he even said, oh, I even know the owner of that shop, and you want to put some, you're going to do some delivery system, I had something to deliver there, and, and so he was very, very kind to me, I'll never forget that, and then we said, well, he, I think we just started talking about, you want to go have some tea, because, you know, we can just do that there, have tea on the street, and before I knew it, he started saying, well, now, I had mentioned I was a follower of Jesus, he goes, well, so did Jesus really come to this earth, did he really, you really think he died for us? And if he died for us, are you sure that God rose, raised him from the dead? Are you sure about that? I said, well, Yusuf, there's some really great questions, and I can see you're, you're zealous. Let's just, it's kind of getting late. Let's meet tomorrow morning, early in the morning. And sure enough, unusually, unusually, he met early in the morning. I think it was like 7 or 8 in the morning, which for Arab is like way early. <laughs> he had to set his alarm for that one. And he was there. Sure enough, he was there. We spent the whole rest of that Saturday. It was a Saturday. And there he was, he, sharing the gospel. I think my, my wife fed him breakfast and lunch and possibly dinner at the very end. And then we went downtown, and he goes, Abu Sharif, the father of Sharif. That's what they call him, Abu Sharif. So how can, I, how can I have this experience that you've been talking about? How can I be saved? He said that in his own words, in his own way. I said, well, the scriptures say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so here we are in downtown Amman, in like Pioneer Square in Portland, and he says out loud, a shadow in Isa who will Messiah Allah, or something like that. I don't remember specifically, but he used the verb, which is the Islamic creed verb. I witness that there is no God but Muhammad, and Muhammad is, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. He used that verb out loud in public in front of the whole community saying, I witness that Jesus Christ is Lord, <laughs> and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And within moments, I'm hugging a new brother in Jesus Christ. This is just some of the things. Another time, I've, when I first started Arabic, I was two years, two years of Arabic. I thought I had Arabic down, pat, mastered. What a fool I was. But I remember very clearly that summer, I was with Operation Mobilization, and that, that summer there was a special team going to Sudan, and I said, I feel compelled that I should be on that team. I must be on that team. And... My team leader thought, no, you shouldn't. You're, you're too young. You don't have, no, you shouldn't go. But just circumstances came together, and somehow I just said I, 
I need to go enough times, and the Lord opened up the door. They went to the northern city of Dongola, and I remember I was just there watching. I was just there praying because it was all locals, local Africans there because this was northern Sudan, so they were from the black south, not the Arab north. But we went up to the Arab north, which I spoke Arabic, but anyways, long and short. Um, in the market, I felt a man t- tap my shoulder, and I'll never forget. He goes, are you with those guys? And I said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm with them. He goes, would you please come to my house? I have some questions for you. So I told the team leader, I said, uh, Sadiq, which means friend, Sadiq wants me to go to his house. Um, so just so you know, so I go to his house. And I said, where's your house? He goes, it's over there. And we're at the edge of the Nile. We're on the edge of the Nile, and it's just nothing but solid desert as far as I could see. And there was a palm tree way off in the distance. He took me to his house. And I'll never forget, that was my Nicodemus experience. Three days and two nights, nothing but, he had listened to Transworld Radio. I believe it was Trans World Radio. Amen. He had been listening to Trans World Radio out in the desert, and it was nothing but, did Jesus come? Is he really the eternal word of God? Did he die for my sins? Three days and two nights. I don't know whatever came of it. I clearly had the sense that the Spirit of God was working on this man's life. It was like Nicodemus, you know. Nicodemus left, and I, I believe Sadiq is in the kingdom. But you see all these things. When Emily and I moved to Tyre, we looked and we looked, we looked. We could not find a house. We could not find a house. There were houses all over the city, but we just couldn't find one. But the Spirit of the Lord, through circumstances, through, through sovereign things that happened, led us through a unique way to this particular house. And when we saw it, we knew that was the house. There were reasons I did not want that house. It was a stone's throw away from the house where Beverly and I had lived in. I didn't want to live there. Just for whatever reasons, I didn't want to. But that wasn't my choice to make, was it? And I'll never forget, as it became very clear to us that that was the house for us to live, a relationship developed with the daughter of our landlady up to the very point where just a few months ago, after many years of sharing with her, many of years of evangelizing her, she would kneel on her bed just about when this last, last spring, kneel on her bed, and cry out in her pain and her agony with her amputations for the Lord Jesus to save her publicly. This is exciting. This is how the Lord leads. This is some of the ways that God leads. He leads us always, even the same ways that he has in the past. He leads through the word. He leads through circumstances. He's Lord over all things. He guides through the church and through elders in your lives. He guides through prayer, even through the still, small voice within us. Isaiah 31, uh, 30, verse 21 says, And your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. The Spirit of God leads his church today as he did in the book of Acts still. And we need that. For sure, there is sometimes a subjective element to the Spirit's leading, but that subjective aspect is always subjected to the Word of God and the full counsel of God. And then lastly, as we close in verse 24, there is this motivation. There is this final motivation, which is the priority of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, But now I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And when he says here, this course, he's referring to the course of his life, the course of his life. This word is only used three times in the New Testament. And it's used here and then 
in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it's the last chapter of that last book. And it's the last words of the last chapter that the Apostle Paul ever said, which is, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And my time of my departure is coming, is coming very soon. And then Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the race he's talking about here. So the Apostle Paul takes two things, and he kind of evaluates them. On the one hand, there's his life, with all the dearness and preciousness to him of what his life is to him. The saving of his life, you could say. And on the other hand, is this course, this course that God has put upon my life when he saved me. This course, this running of this race all the way to the end, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God all the way to the end, however it's going to be. He doesn't know at this point how it's going to end up, but he says, this is my great desire. He says, there's these two things. Which do I do? My life, my preciousness, the dearness of my life to me, or living for the Lord Jesus Christ and this gospel of the grace of God? Which shall it be? (laughs) I don't account my life as anything or as dear to myself, but I live for the glory of God and the gospel of God. I want to go to the very end testifying, whether it's just testifying to my grandkids or whether it's testifying to a church in my last days of existence or whether it's testifying to the nurse in a COVID room because my family can't come in to even say goodbye to me. I don't know. But the goal is that I go to the very end, persevere to the very end in faith, in trust, in loving commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ holding to this gospel, proclaiming it, knowing that in this course is a cost. The course implies a cost, right? Did anyone ever run cross-country? It's costly. <laughs> it's costly. <laughs> I did it for a few, you know, never mind, I'm going to go to it. But there's a cost. Implied in this ministry is suffering. The Apostle Paul, as soon as he lands in Caesarea, the, the church there is going to say, Paul, 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 don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be bound in chains. And Paul says, why are you guys making me cry? Don't you know that I'm willing and ready to die for Jesus? The Apostle Paul said that many times. The Apostle Paul said that many times. Two months ago when I called up the elder in Tyre and I said, well, how are you doing with all these death threats? He said, you know what? If we look to these things, we will never accomplish anything for the kingdom of Christ. That's what he said. Brothers and sisters, our nation is moving further and further and further away from the gospel and some, some Christian foundations that it once may have had. It no longer has those foundations. They've let the moorings go and the ship's sailing off to sea. And I don't know where it's going to end up at. Pastors are being arrested in Canada for being faithful to the word of God. New laws are coming in that make it very clear that if you say just about anything that this Bible says... You'll be arrested for hate speech. Council culture is going to work pretty hard on the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the call of all men to repent. Repent of sin. Yes. Homosexuality. Sin. Abortion. Sin. Lying, cheating, stealing. That's also sin. Gossip sin too. But certain, certain sins will be more acceptable to talk about than other sins. And as we think of how this is applying to us, we have to remember that this, this mission of the Apostle Paul, it's our mission to the same day. It hasn't changed one bit, has it? 
Hasn't changed one bit. The Apostle Paul was doing it 2,000 years ago as a pioneer missionary in Ephesus. He's called the church to be doing the same thing in Africa and Asia and Saudi Arabia, Tyre, South Lebanon, but also right here. This goal, this desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified through the establishment of his church. The gospel going out, but always coming back to the church. That brings glory to him in a special way. And we have the same message, right? Our gospel has not changed one iota. It should not have changed one iota from 2,000 years ago. It's the gospel of the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul knew that very clearly. He knew that whoever wishes to save his life, he shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, for Jesus' sake and the gospel, he shall find it and keep it and save it. For what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? It means that as the church and as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading and directing in your life. He is the Lord of the harvest. He told Paul, don't go to Ephesus. Now, go to Ephesus. Now, get out of Ephesus. It's not always easy. There's a lot of emotional things that come in that. You too. The Lord has sovereignly placed you where you are. The Lord has gifted you the way he's gifted you. The Lord has called you and provided for you and fitted you for his glory. And your job is to walk in obedience and love. He'll guide. He'll direct. He's the Lord over all circumstances. He'll guide and he'll direct wherever, wherever that may be. Whether it is here in Brush Prairie or in Saudi Arabia, he will meet you and he'll provide for you all along the way. Whatever, whether you're called to be a a pioneer missionary or whether you're called to be a Sunday school teacher for first graders for 20 years. Praise God for those giftings and callings. I said in the first service how much I am thankful, how much I'm thankful for the dear saints who taught me in first and second and third grade Sunday school. Laid a foundation for me for the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the fact that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. That was all laid foundationally, not at Moody Bible Institute. It was laid at Battleground Baptist Church in the first grader Sunday school class. I learned those things there. Don't think that those jobs are not important. An Awana program. These are all wonderful ways that we can share the love of God. Like this jazz concert thing that you're doing that you've done so many years. It's a wonderful thing. What a wonderful opportunity. You're right. We do live in a post-Christian society. So we do need to find ways and means to connect with our neighbors. And this is a wonderful thing. Praise God for it. I'll pray that the Lord continues to use that time. Whoever, whether you work with Muslims in the Middle East or Muslims here or atheistic evolutionary-based Americans here or <laughs> who, who, who knows, but the Lord knows. He's the one over all these things. Whether you're a farmer or a pastor or a public school teacher or a school board member or a, a nurse in our medical system that's gone mad, whatever it is, do it all to the glory of God with the objective of sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, the good news of eternal life. This life will be over. There's a lot of people thinking about eternity these days. There's a lot of Americans for the first time thinking a little bit about eternity. COVID is at least, that's one of the good things that's happened from that. But remember and be aware of the fact that the general call of following Christ today is costly. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. Whoever desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so be thinking of that 
as, our, as this church and as the church of Jesus Christ moves out into a secular society, we can expect more persecution coming to us. But that's okay. This is an opportunity to let our light shine in the midst of darkness. I think as a church, you often have had, we refer to it, this benediction that you have that Pastor Bob often shares with you to go out and around into your community and bring into God's family, he says, right? Bring into God's family, either through, through, through new birth or just bringing them to get close to God's family here and get acquainted with the people of the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them in. And then he says they were to be involved with building up one another as followers of Jesus. I don't know exactly how it's worded, but I know that's something that pa- Pastor Bob often sends out to you. I think it's a great summary of what has been going on for 2,000 years. That's the Apostle Paul's heart, even as he shares with these Ephesian elders. These are some of the principles that made the Apostle Paul a, a useful tool to the glory of God. And it's my prayer that maybe these will be of some encouragement to you as you press, as you press on testifying to the gospel of the grace of God to the very end. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the Lord of your church. You are the head of your church. You are the Lord of the harvest. You sent forth laborers into your harvest field. And we thank you, Lord, that you have saved us, each one in this room who has come to know you. You have been, we are chosen of you and saved and special in your sight. You love us with an everlasting love. And it is your desire that each one of your children co-labor with you in this great commission, in all the various aspects of it. And we ask, Father, for the fulfillment of that and the completion of that work in our lives. Give us grace to be your co-laborers in these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.